As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to a Week 8 edition of Football and Grits, Brody. I don't even know. I guess this is technically talking about week eight going into week nine, I guess. Who knows? What I do know, Brody, is that coming into this season, uh, I was very down on LSU in part in general because of the lack of depth and then watching Florida State, um, who I did not think was very good coming into the season and how much that offense struggled in that game. I felt like it only confirmed, uh, I guess, uh, my own thoughts coming into the year. Haven't seen a ton of impressive things from them until Saturday uh, where they beat a very good Ole Miss team. And I think Brody, from my perspective, this was the first time that, that LSU has made me sit up and take notice and say, Oh, this is a team. They're not sitting there uh, at uh, is it five and two or six and two either way. Six and two. Yeah. Six and two. And they control their own fate in the sec West. Most importantly, they'll have a mammoth showdown with Bama. I, you know, it's hard for me to see them, this version of LSU, beating this version of Alabama, but that's why they play the games. Yeah. But the fact that they're in this position, Brody, this is not – I thought this was a six-win team, seven-win team at best. They are not hey, – my question to you, Brody, you've seen this team very closely. How much of this is improvement from camp, from the Florida State game, and how much of this is just – People underestimated LSU coming into this year and, and chalked this up to a rebuild considering all they lost in the portal despite what they added in the portal as well. Yeah, I think it's it genuinely, for the most part, for me, is improvement. Like, And that's kind of the thing. And, yeah, I think we're on the same page. Like, we don't, I don't think either of us think they're really going to win the SEC but or anything like that. But, but what you have to – and we're both taking such focus on it. What matters here is that they are improving. And that is the main thing I think you highlight year one under Brian Kelly, even if they finish – Eight and four. It's just like that is important because all of a sudden, I mean, this team looked like a mess week one. The special teams issues, the the offense for really five weeks, just looking very, I mean, influent, just messy. Like nothing was easy. You know, the defense had some of those busts and all that. And the thing that jumps out to me each week I, I cover them is every time there's a clear issue one week it gets addressed and that's that sounds so obvious but man we've all covered a lot of teams where that is not yes. the case and and I think we're going to talk about one a little bit later <laughs> exactly or 
I mean, we I really we can dive into this, but like the second the the second half numbers stuff with LSU is bonkers. Where, I mean, they're outscoring Power Five opponents by like sixty five in the second halves, and a lot of that is you know Kelly talks about how well conditioned they are and how they can exert themselves. True, a little bit, but also that's coaching adjustments. That's hey, this isn't working. Here's what they're doing. Let's fix it. And I think the thing that highlights this completely is Jaden Daniels. Listen. If people that were criticizing him were not wrong, the, the offense was limited through for the first five or six games. And then all of a sudden, you know, against Florida, he just became a different quarterback. He suddenly was throwing the ball confidently. He was reading defenses and decisively putting balls up the one-on-ones and they were winning them. And then Saturday he was running the show. I mean, it was the a heavy RPO based scheme that was pretty much entirely in his hands, whether hand it off, run it himself or pass it. And he put on a show. I mean, basically all like 500 yards of offense were kind of his choices. So all of a sudden, this is a different football team because Jane Daniels went from below average, I'd say, to, I mean, again, not great defenses, but this version of him is a star. So, yeah, I think you have to give credits. And, yeah, I mean, there's other things like I think they weren't as bad as the Florida State game as they looked or like things like that. But But still, man, this is suddenly a team that – knows who it is they're not top eight they're not great but they know how they're going to win football games and they can beat arkansas on AM without a doubt yeah and i think for the whole season you know when people ask about lsu I'm like, well you know they got the bodies but they just can't <laughs> score and that's a problem exactly. and then they put up 45 on florida and i'm like well but florida hadn't been able to stop anybody all year and it's kind of yeah. like but Ole miss is a very good defense yep. and they really I mean, 42-3 over the last three quarters. To do that to a team of Ole Miss's caliber, I don't think Ole Miss is a top-10 team. I thought no. they were playing above their weight class. But they're probably a borderline top-15-20 team if you yep. you know if you played it out, uh, at least from Vegas' perspective or from you know how good teams actually are uh, relative to the, the rankings as a snapshot in time. And to dominate a team like that is really impressive. And, uh, you know – I think this is what I wrote about this morning at the athletic as well. But when you pay a coach a hundred million dollars, like LSU elected to do to, to pull Brian Kelly from Notre Dame, this is what you pay for. Because I'm not sure how many coaches would be able to one pull, pull the the talent that they got from the portal for one to fix a lot of the issues. Um, Obviously Jaden Daniels is the headliner there, but um, you know, plenty of other pieces as well. Um, to, to fill in some of the losses that they lost the portal, and then have this kind of improvement, like you said, fixing stuff from week to week. Uh, it's it, it, it is a great coaching job, and I, I think other guys. I mean, we'll talk about South Carolina Chain Beamer a little bit later. Obviously, Josh Heupel in Tennessee will be in the mix as well. There's been a lot of great coaching jobs in the SEC this year, Absolutely. and we'll see where LSU ends up at the finish line. There's a lot of games left to be played still. But man, he's done one of he, he he's certainly got a case for coach of the year. I don't think he'll win it. No. But man, but... this is a this is this is a really impressive uh stuff here because I really thought this was gonna be an average LSU team and they're not, and they look a lot better than what we saw against Florida State. And also there's something to your point about like the portal. And I mentioned this in the piece. I mean, there's a, like an element of the things that are winning them a lot of these games. Sure, some of them are already there. Your Keishon Booties, your Brian Tom, all these guys, but mm-hmm. you know, BJ Ojolari. But a lot of what really won Saturday, for example, was the transfers and the freshmen. And that is something that if you're an LSU fan, like you got to really point to and be optimistic about because it's like Joe Fouché was the guy who got that, that game ceiling interception or Greg Brooks is playing great. Jane Daniels has been 
dominating, quite frankly. And and then the freshmen right now are kind of mind-boggling. Like we've all seen good freshman classes in our time, but and and I don't know if like in three years this will be the best class. But Harold Perkins is already like, I mean, he's not just good. He is one of the best linebackers in the country right now. I mean, he's a freak. Lane Kiffin even said, like, hey, what changed in the game? And he's like, oh, they played Harold Perkins more. Uh, Will Campbell and Emory Jones are two true freshmen who are not just, like, playing offensive tackle in the SEC. They are some of the highest graded offensive tackles in the country. You know, And LSU's O-line looked like a mess week one, and then they put Jones in, and all of a sudden – they are, it's now an above average area of this team. And, and you know, and Mason Taylor had to keep the game leading touchdown at tight end who's a true freshman son of Jason Taylor. Like the new pieces that are kind of Kelly are the things that are the most optimistic right now. And I think that's a good sign. And yeah, the thing we, you and I have both kind of kept repeating is like, even after the Tennessee loss, it's like, they are who they are. I don't think this changed what I think of them. Because they might, they they will probably still lose one or you know they might lose to Arkansas and but it's just the idea of how does it look? That's what it's been this year's really about is how how does eight and four seven and five look when you get there? And right now it looks like a team that's getting better. Looks like a team that as corny as this is keeps fighting and finding ways to will themselves into games. The roster's not there yet, but you have a lot mm-hmm. of optimism that like come twenty twenty three or twenty four, this should be a real contender. <laughs> I think it's just very interesting because I felt like, okay, they're kind of on cruise control. And mm. I did think Tennessee was going to roll them, maybe not as badly as they did, but I was like, I think Tennessee's going to expose them. Tennessee's, you know, a team that I thought was really good coming into the season. And that was a pretty ugly game. But we we, we saw Brian Kelly after the game go back to that game and say, well, we were closer. Well, the thing I thought was interesting, actually, Brody, yeah. is he's kind of swallowing his words as yeah. they're starting to spill out. And he, he was kind of thinking about, well, should I say this? Should I not say this? Or how should I phrase this? And uh, he basically said, you know, we were closer than it looked against Tennessee. One, as somebody who was there, yeah. did you do you buy that that a lot of this, a lot of the, the lopsided scores because of the fourth down stuff? And two, what do you make of him sort of being indecisive about whether or not to go yeah. there? I, 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 I think I know what that was. I think I'm 80% sure, like just seeing his body language in that moment, it was. Do I basically tell you guys that you guys are reactionary, like not know what you're talking about? Like people, it kind of felt like he was being like, do I really just like say, and I I know exactly what he's saying here. And by the way, he was the first to say like Tennessee was better. Like that's, mm-hmm. but I, I, I actually understand exactly what he means in two parts. One, that game just got off the rails quickly, right? It was bizarre special teams errors like two of them and it was 13 nothing within five minutes and like Tennessee's gonna win that game either way I believe but that data point immediately gets skewed because everything else that happens in that game is now as you know a result of you are playing from two scores behind yeah, you're like, chasing changes. points mm-hmm. yes so one that's it and and two Kelly went for it on every single fourth down in the first half some of them like fourth and eight and not even like he was very aggressive with it and I think his point that he was really trying to say about that game was like Yes, they were going to lose that game anyway, but they were not playing. They could have played a version of that game where you manage it, where you lose by 10 because you're playing smart football, but they knew that version wouldn't win the game. And they were in his point was, and I think he said this in the quote was like the LSU was playing to find a way to win. So in turn, when you don't get that fourth down, now it's 20 to three or whatever. And, and I think he's right about that. Like, I think that's a fair point. Tennessee is at least 10 points better than LSU. Like, that is a fact. And I don't think he was saying it wasn't. He was just saying, like, 
everyone was in sky is falling mode after that game because it was the, literally the worst FPS loss of Brian Kelly's career. And he's like, that isn't quite the case. And I think he's right because then you see the next two weeks, it's a good team. You know, not a great team, but it's a good team. Mm-hmm. Well, Brody, speaking of uh, $100 million and falling nice. skies. That's a segue. Let, let's let's hit on Texas A&M uh, where uh, I'm not sure the sky is, is darker than, than just about anywhere. They're kind of back in no man's land um, because, as we've said, you're, you're underneath this insane contract that you gave Jimbo Fisher and then double down when Ed Orgeron's on the hot seat. You're kind of wondering because the funniest part of the Jimbo Fisher contract in which right now it would cost A&M a shade under $86 million to fire him. The funniest part about that is if, tech, if, if Jimbo Fisher wanted to go coach the Dallas Cowboys or the LSU Tigers – or the uh, Ohio Bobcats tomorrow it would cost them zero dollars to do so. Yeah. That is the funniest part of the contract. But AM, so AM gives him the, the extension, a raise, turns their $75 million man into their $95 million man. And this situation that they are currently in now is why you don't do those kinds of things. I've said this over and over again for the last decade. Agents versus athletic directors is the most lopsided rivalry in college sports. And they're taking a huge L right now. And I think the one thing that I think gets lost in the Jimbo Fisher discussion is not, well, this buyout prevents you from firing him. What that buyout does is gives you no leverage at all to control your head coach. Because obviously Jimbo Fisher, as many head coaches are, is a headstrong guy. But we've seen in the past that when your head coach is – on the hot seat and is sort of trying to save his job, the AD can go down there and say, Hey, we're going to make these changes or we're going to make a change and it's going to be you. Yep. I I am of the mind. I felt this all season. I felt it Saturday night. I think A&M is one really good OC hire away from being a juggernaut. I truly believe that. I think the nuts and bolts, of the program are fine. The defense is great. The talent is there. I don't, the quarterbacks could be better, but I think the quarterbacks are limited by the system that is uh, extremely complex and very hard to learn. Um, And I don't think Jimbo Fisher is going to do that. I think he is wants to, he might bring in somebody to offer some new ideas, but he's not going to give up play calling. They're not going to have this offensive overhaul. And now you're kind of stuck. And so for as much as people talk about the buyout, oh, you can't fire him, you can't fire him and all that stuff. It, it, not only prevents you from firing him, it prevents you from trying to go over his head to make some changes because he is the most powerful guy on campus. Brody, when you look at AM, I mean, this is year five. How 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 did we get here? What is like we're we're sitting here and, and AM is careening for what may be the worst season under Jimbo Fisher and a season that they started in the top ten, just outside the top five. Yeah, and like the thing I want to know is like because I don't think many people have great insight into Jimbo. Like he's so public and like so talkative, but I don't think there's that there's that great insight into him. And I'm curious, you've covered him. I'm curious your opinion. Like I did do a deep profile on him yeah. for a Dave Campbell's Texas football cover story. I can talk. I can get into that in a little bit, but go on. Absolutely. Like I want to know. Like is he embarrassed or is he like you guys don't get it? You know, like that's what the like, maybe that's the answer to like what happens these next few years because. If there's the version of him that is like, I can't believe this is happening, then yeah, man, like you make some changes and there is no reason next year's team that 
per capita would probably be like a top two or three team in the country in talent, right? Like they should be. There's no reason they can't be an 11 win team next year. But I don't, I've also heard so many things from people who've covered him that are like, like to your point, he is so headstrong. He is not going to change this stuff. Also, it's probably unfair to act like everything wrong with this team is play calling, but it's a big chunk. And it's like, I, I, don't, at, I think it's bigger than that. I think it's scheme more than play yeah. calling. I don't think that's it's what I meant that. to say. Sorry. Yeah. The yeah. play calling, I do think it is scheme. I honestly do. Yeah, I completely um, agree. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I'm not saying they should run the Baylor offense, but there's a reason why 13 something teams do. And it doesn't have to be that, but something that is more effective um, and, ultimately. And I, I always, my favorite example of your great point about like, it's about the leverage, right? And, but it's also about these headstrong coaches. They are not yes. normal. You do not get there by being normal. And I always go back to the example of, I think it was 16, the year Les Miles got fired, I believe. And the entire offseason was the whole narrative was Joe Oliva and everyone's pressuring him, like, you have to. To spread this ball out, you got to pass more. You have to get closer to 50 50. It was the whole thing. And they, I think they're at Wisconsin that year in Lambeau. And first play of the game, Les Miles calls a toss. And by the way, the whole year, like Les Miles, like, yep, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. First play, toss dive. And then he looks up at the press box, if I recall that story correctly, like at the Joe Oliva. <laughs> like these guys don't like being told what to do. And they don't like anyone thinking they know better. And this is going to be the story of Jimbo Fisher because he is a good enough football coach, a smart enough human to make these pivots and win a title or something. But he's also a headstrong dude, and we're going to find out. And you're right. Like, I don't think the answer is Jimbo Fisher, or just realistically, I should say, is Jimbo Fisher just like hands the keys to like Kendall Brown or whatever, you know? Like, but mm-hmm. the best comp, and I'm sorry to keep making everything else you, and I've said this on the show like three times already. I apologize, but it's the Joe Brady thing. Steve, they loved Steve Ensminger. They loved him as a play caller, but they Joe they needed Joe Brady to come in and be the idea guy, the scheme guy. He brought in the ideas. It was still Steve Ensminger's show, and Jimbo would be a heightened version of that. But like, at least do that. But I don't. It's, I know it's not that simple. But I think there's something there. Well, I think you're where you're at with AM is you're stuck right now. So you've got three paths forward, right? <laughs> One is. A pipe dream, which is somebody cuts an $86 million check to fire him at the end of the year, which I actually don't think that's a good idea because I don't even think it's it's worth having the conversation because it's not going to happen. But also, I'm a big, well, who are you going to get guy? And there's not going to be a lot of guys, even in this this place where USC is pulling Lincoln Riley and LSU is pulling Brian Kelly. Listen, I still think Jimbo Fisher is probably one of the five to six, seven best coaches in the sport. Top 10 at least, yeah. Yeah, and I uh, I think you can fix this with him. but And you so can't roll out. Like, the infrastructure is the infrastructure he's yes. And that talent's unreal. Yes. You can't ignore exactly. that. Yeah. They're still sitting there at number four in, in uh, 24-7 talent composite. They're probably going to be rising. Well, we'll yep. see if they can keep going. We'll talk recruiting in a second. But so I don't I, – I, I think you got to stick with Jimbo. I don't think you even have that conversation. But it's not even pointless. $86 million is a lot. So you're then two again, they got billionaire money. Like, yeah, but still, to, I'm not saying they will, but like 86 mil to a billionaire. If there was a school nothing. that would do it, it's LSU, but I mean, it's, it's A&M, but I don't yeah. think they're going to. Anyway, yeah, I'm with you. A&M or Texas anyway. But uh, anyway, uh, so then you have, okay, well, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. We're going to keep banging our head against the wall, which I think is what's going to keep happening at A&M. And I feel bad for A&M fans because I think that's the most likely scenario. Or you bring in somebody to quote unquote, offer influence yeah. the uh the joe brady path or you hand over the offense entirely 
You want my – if it's me, I'm handing over the offense entirely, and I'm taking Jimbo, and I'm saying, Jimbo, you're really good at running a program. Be the CEO. Recruit your butt off. Keep building this thing. Keep doing this thing, but hand off the offensive He's not going to do it, but that's that's what I think would help this program in the biggest way. And he said in the middle of the season, uh, I believe uh, uh, the FWA's beat writer of the year, if I recall, Brent Zwerneman, asked him, if you felt like, you know, would you hand over play calling or hand over the offense? And he said, well, if I felt like that was the best thing for us to win, yes, I would. Well, Great politician that's, answer. A, that's a large caveat because yeah. certainly he's going to have a divergent opinion from a lot of other people. Um, but I think this offense is outdated. I think the offense is not working. The results are, this is a results business. How much more do you need to see? I, I dropped this in my SEC column this morning from the uh, ESPN stats and info department, but AM has now failed to score more than 24 points in nine consecutive games. The only two other How is that possible? Exactly. Against FBS opponents. And the only other two programs with that street with streaks that are longer are two programs that you do not want to find yourself in company with, and that is Colorado and Rutgers. That, that is side note, AM hasn't even played like the great defenses in the SEC. No, like, they have not. Uh yeah. and that that those are bedfellows you do not want to keep in any uh, in any way, uh, especially this Colorado team and Rutgers in general. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I just don't know how much more you need to see. And I, the problem is that I don't think there's anything you can do about it because you've you've made this insane contract. And I, I, these are becoming more and more. I mean, you see the Mel Tucker deal. Um, obviously, that one stands out as another one's fully guaranteed. Uh, Stu Mandel wrote over the weekend. Another school that is coming to the SEC in Brent Venables gave him a fully guaranteed deal. Like, you don't have to do this. You really like, don't. You You're really Oklahoma. Don't People want to go there. People you want it. You do not have to do this. And this is why this is why you don't do it. Because when everybody's wrapped up in the hire, like, oh, this is going to be great. We're going to be competing for playoff spots, national championships in, in no time. And then when you don't, you leave yourself with no options. And that's where AM is right well, now. You know what's really going on there, right, though? It's like we all say, like, how dumb are you for doing this? But it doesn't matter to the athletic director. Their job is just to get the guy. And if mm-hmm. the coach doesn't work anyway, they're screwed anyway. You know what I mean? So it's like Scott Woodward made that deal. He First off, he left for LSU. So it's like not my problem. But two, it's just like it's not the presidents and the board need to be the ones arguing this. Because like the AD, it's like, yeah, I want to make this deal because it's either going to work or it isn't. And either way, it's a win or a loss for me. So I don't need to make a smart business deal. Now, the other thing is like, 
I think the best move here is to appeal to ego with Jimbo because if that's how we think he operates and say like, I think this, if he did like just remove his ego and hand it over to somebody and it works, somebody needs to appeal to him that that would make him look better. People would write the most glowing features you've ever read and everyone would talk about how smart and savvy and selfless that was to finally do this and then you go win the SEC or something. Like they need to appeal. It's like the thing I always say is like, if I'm a basketball coach, I'd be appealing that if you pass more, you'll get better looks and you'll score more. Like, and it's like being selfish, selfless will help you get more acclaim because you will be in championships and all that shit. And it's like, yeah, I think that's got to be the appeal to Jimbo is like you, if you do this, you will look bad. So I don't know. That sounds obvious. I think that's a good play. I think it's true. Ultimately at the end of the day, you're trying to win. And I get maybe if you're Jimbo, you want to win in a certain way and run your program in a certain way. But you're not doing that. A&M is careening toward, at best, probably a 7-5 and five season yeah. and maybe 6-6. Six and six. Yeah. And you got to – would they have to – I think they have to beat Florida, basically, to get in a bowl game. Yeah. Like, that's not a guarantee. You know, Anthony no. Richardson seems like a, a ticking time bomb that can beat just about anybody when he gets hot on a given day. So, like – and especially considering, you know, the one the way that their uh, offense is playing, and 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 even against Florida, you're probably gonna have some issues putting up a ton of points. So I, man, it's just a it's a it's a weird spot that they find themselves in, and I don't know. I, I think your play is probably the the play that you have to do, but there have to be some hard conversations, um, and I feel like, the, again, this is about leverage, and that is what you don't have. And, you know, I would say that schools should prevent themselves from giving these crazy fully guaranteed contracts. But the problem is that you always want to hire that guy. And now when Brent Venables has one and Mel Tucker has one and Jimbo Fisher has one and you have a good, and now you have a good, a a great candidate that you really want this candidate. And he says, well, here's going to take to get me. I want all my money fully guaranteed. Well, it's gonna work out great, Brody. So why not fully guarantee the contract, right? Now the market is screwed forever. Yes. Yeah. And so yeah. I would say schools shouldn't do this, but now that the now that the precedent is set and guys like Brett Venables, who have never been a head coach before, he's got a fully guaranteed contract. Well, why can't I get one, Brody? You know, <laughs> like that, when you lay it out like this, <laughs> it's just so stupid. <laughs> Athletes, I mean athletic directors versus agents, Brody. It's the it's the FCS FBS rivalry. It's uh it's the generals versus the um, it really is globetrotters. the globetrotters. It really is, and it's funny, but I feel bad for AM fans because they're in this spot, and and that's where we're at. Do we have and now, of course, looking to the future, which is where the the, the brightest spot for AM is because they're recruiting. It's going to get harder to one recruit. Yep when you're losing and you're selling this dream that is crumbling in front of you and in the transfer portal era, you got to keep the Evan Stewart's, the Walter Nolan's, these big dudes that you brought in when Brody, I'm told that there might be some tampering that happens. Uh, no. You think, uh, surely not. Get out but of you, think, you think maybe Walter Nolan or people close to Walter Nolan or Evan Stewart or people close to Evan Stewart. How many people that Evan Stewart is close to you think have gotten texts during A&M games this year that says, Hey, you want to be stuck in that for the next four years? Or you want to come somewhere where you have hope of having a thousand yard season? Yep. That's the reality of what's going to happen. And I think that in the, in the portal era, that becomes a lot more attractive. And so, I, I man, holding that together is 
is going to be even more and more difficult the more and more you keep banging your head against the wall and you keep trying to do these things that are not that are not working. Yeah. I don't know how much more you need to see. Like I, I just you know at some point you got to make changes. No, it's true, and it's a great point about the portal area because it's like three years ago, it's like yeah, you know, like some guys might want to transfer, but is it really worth losing that time or whatever? Now it's like Alabama can just immediately say, hey, if you put Evan Stewart on this Alabama team. They oh are, my gosh! They are the number one team. Like it changes that quickly. That Alabama's missing right now. That's a good point. Exactly. I even like, about that. Yeah. It's just it's right there, and it's just if you are a nineteen-year-old kid. By the way, I'm not even saying that's a like a, a immature decision. No, it just makes sense. It is a yeah. smarter business decision, and I think that's only like this is now completely irresponsible. Like just speculate on my part, but it's like <laughs> I almost wonder in the portal and the NIL era of like. Get that money going to AM, you know, and then now and then you can be like, hey, if it's not working out, I can just go there. And I know there's contracts and like situations of like you might, you know, if you leave, what changes, but still it's like, hey, the but I go back and forth. I'm like, the reasons people are going to AM, I know it's not just NIL and all that, but it's like that part's not changing. Like they are still gonna be able to offer good deals and things like that. So they'll probably still do okay. And you always hear like the most common thing you and I probably both get told by every like recruiting staff forever is like on like that year's wins and losses don't really affect recruiting as much as people think. Yeah. But this isn't about this year. It's about year five of I don't know if I'm a receiver, if I'm gonna get developed for the pros. If I'm a quarterback, it looks like my stock's gonna go down by going to AM, all that stuff. So like mm-hmm. I go back and forth on it. But yeah, man, that is the thing. It's not about how good they are this year. It's if he loses the recruiting momentum, everything's off the table. Yeah. And this week they got a chance. This can really go two ways again. I kind of think they win this week. <laughs> I don't. I really don't. I think you can. If you win this, it doesn't matter. Play Ole Miss for our listeners. Just uh, make yes, sure. Ole Miss. They'll host Ole Miss. Yeah. So there's two scenarios here, Brody. You can beat Ole Miss and you can shut people up for a little bit. But man, if you get smacked this week on front of your home crowd, the boo birds, listen, AM doesn't boo, they hiss. So maybe there's just a lot of maybe there's just a lot of hissing going on. Yeah. I did say, by the way, I was mentioning I, I I tweeted this Saturday night. I'm not I don't spend a ton of time around AM as much as I used to in terms of like physically being in college station. But I said it's always uh, you, you feel like AM is normal until a ball carrier rolls out of bounds into like eight guys carrying swords on the sidelines. <laughs> and, <clears throat> and that's just that's AM for you. But anyway, if you get smacked in that game and it's the fourth quarter and you're down 17, 20 points. Oh man. Who knows oh, what those man. guys with swords are going to do? You know? Exactly, yeah. exactly. The thing you don't want to do, even in 2022, is upset somebody uh, carrying a sword. So That's uh, one of my six rules, yeah. That's a, uh, that's a good rule to have. <laughs> so we'll see. I, I just, man. That game's going to be fascinating. because like, It is. We, I've learned that we're just wrong about something where every week I'm like, yeah, but A&M's got the bodies in the box to like stop a run game. And it's like, no, nah, if you look at the run defense numbers, they're pretty bad. Like South Carolina ran at will against them. They're like 89th mm-hmm. in rushing success rate defensively. Like they're not actually good there. So, I mean, you're right. Ole Miss might, but then my brain's like, I could see a scenario where like Ole Miss tries to run in the box in the A&M. So I'm, I'm literally just Sisyphus, you know, up the, yeah. but I kind of weirdly like A&M in this spot. Even A&M though, two and a half point underdog in that game. So yeah. We'll see it's just like, 
I don't know, man. I think that LSU game might have just showed us a lot of like Ole Miss is a good, not great team. It's like that. I kind of view this game as like a pick them deep down, but what do I We'll know? find out. Well, Brody, I tell you who is living well and does not have a fully guaranteed contract, uh, although maybe he will soon. Yeah, maybe in two months. Yeah. Shane Beamer and the South Carolina Gamecocks are sitting pretty at five and two, and they are standing alone in third place in the SEC East. Uh, or, sorry, tied with Kentucky in the uh, for third in the SEC East. This was not, a, I, I think, something that a lot of people saw. Uh, South Carolina being, at this point, ahead of Florida, tied with Kentucky. I think people... Uh, there, there's a lack of respect, I feel like, for South Carolina, even yeah. with the, the talent they brought in in the portal. And we saw a spicy Shane Beamer after the game. Uh, very interesting that, you know, he mentioned that a, a month ago people had asked him, well, one reporter had asked him if he saw any quit uh, in his team. Uh, and his response was, uh, that looked like Andy quit out there. And they did not. They had not quit. They have now won four in a row. Uh, I believe Shane Beamer for the first time since 2013. Uh, they beat Kentucky without Will Levis, but still a win is a win. And I think South Carolina is now operating in this territory, Brody, where they're good enough to beat you, but it still causes an existential crisis for programs that lose to them because they're like, how did we lose to South Carolina? It's like well, the old Missouri, Gary Pinkle, Missouri. Zone. Yes, a little bit of that, a little yeah. bit of that, um, where they're sitting there and every. Everybody in the SEC, you know, except for like the Missouri and the Vanderbilts and all that, will say, oh, we got South Carolina. We'll beat them, obviously. And then, no, no, you won't. And I also think, too, williams Bryce Stadium was hopping for that A&M game. That place is going, man. That place is good as most. It is is about as good as just about anywhere in the SEC. You know, I I think, you know, you have that sort of upper tier of like when they're really going, like the Kyle Fields, the Neelands, Death Valleys, all that stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think Williams Bryce is, is just like right below that, yeah. you know, they're really, it's a really, really good atmosphere. I was almost a Gamecock. Uh, did you know that? I did not know that. Bro. between IU and South Carolina, man. I could have been SEC before I even came on the show. Well, I could have, I almost went to Northwestern or Syracuse, but I value my, uh, core body temperature. So you really so wait, it. sorry. I know our producers, like <laughs> I hate you, but you really just chose between all three of the like most bratty journalism schools. Wow. What a legend. Yes, I did. And Arkansas, but, uh, Arkansas <laughs> did not get a lot of serious consideration, but yes, uh, I, I went to, uh, to Missouri and that was as cold. I will never live further North than that ever. Uh, that, that, that took it out of me. I, I can't do it. Right. My sophomore year, we got like 18 inches of snow, and I said, never again. This is terrible. Uh, I can't do cold. So anyway, uh, you know, I think ultimately the South Carolina team right now is playing good football. They're playing certainly opportunistic against A&M. The whole – I mean, some of that was some of that was uh, A&M mistakes. Uh, If you have not seen the clip of the – I, I want to call it an interception by uh, AM center who snapped the ball off of Haynes King's knee. I've never into, seen a ball bounce off somebody like that. I've yeah. never seen that. A it's like a trampoline. Drill, a tip drill interception for a defensive lineman off of the snap. That's a new one for me. Uh, I've not seen that on the football field. Incredible. But they returned the opening kick. Thanks to some poor tackling um, by AM. The effort was not quite there. 
<clears throat> but I'm I, I'm happy for Shane Beamer in South Carolina because ultimately, for so many coaches in this sport, Brody, it feels like winning is just a relief, and losing is like we gotta like sacrifice somebody at the altar or something like that. He seems to actually enjoy winning. Yeah. And there's there's the number of coaches who want to have fun. I mean, you know, last what two weeks ago, he puts the sunglasses on and, and oh, yeah. throws some shade at Mark Stoops in the locker room. Uh, you know, people make fun of him for the, the uh, being demonstrative on the sideline when his team is losing. Those kind of things. Like he this stuff means a lot to him and he is very uh, emotional and enjoys winning. I like that. I think we should have uh, bring back the joy in winning, Brody. And and South Carolina, when they win, seems to have a lot of joy. And I appreciate that. Absolutely. And I think we talked about this before, but it's like, and it just does. There are so many coaches that feels like a gimmick when they're doing all that stuff. And him, I don't mm-hmm. think it's gimmicky because he's being so like vulnerably corny about it sometimes in the best way. Like he yeah. really believes it. And to your point about like that brutal zone, well, good for them zone to be clear of like they can beat anyone, but it's a bad loss. I think it has to do with like, when for football fans and like I think us too, you need something to like cling on to with a team, like to understand them. You know, it's like shoot, even if like they had Debo Samuel right back, like you'd be like, okay, it's the Debo Samuel team. Like it makes sense. Mm-hmm. There is nothing to cling on to about why South Carolina is winning these games and it's good. So your brain can't comprehend it. You're just like, <laughs> what? And I mean, shoot, even if you like look at inside of these games, it's like, wait, what did they do? First, I mean, their special teams is kind of part of the answer. They are number two in special teams, SP+. Like, I mean, they opened the game with – what's that? Shout out to Beamer Ball. Absolutely. Real life Beamer Ball is back. They opened the game with the kickoff return, and I believe they also had a fumble uh, – like, a, they forced a, a fumble on a punt return. Like, their special teams are actually winning them games. But they're just weird because it's the offense isn't that good, but it's definitely not bad. The defense isn't that good. And there's got to be something so frustrating about playing them because they let like they're a hundred first in success rate defensively, right? Like they let teams move the ball at will, but teams don't really score on them. And maybe that's a lot of that has to do with field position, the special team stuff we're talking about, where it's like they they know how to manage football games. Quite frankly, it's like they put you in bad field position. They kind of let you drive, but eventually you'll make a mistake, as we saw A and M do like three times. And it's like. They're, that's got to be so frustrating to a program to lose to because it's like, what are they good at? And it's like they're good at football but not anything special. Man, but that's coaching, and that's what has to have you excited because he is a great recruiter, and he does have a buzz going. And it's like he can now point to we're winning games we're not even that talented. And all of a sudden, like, I don't think South Carolina's ever going to have a top five class, but I can't wait to see how good of classes he can get. Like, what if he yeah. does get a top ten class? Like, that's going to keep growing, man, and that's so cool because that's fun for college football. He does have a magnetism about him. And, Brody, I will say, South Carolina, 20th in 24-7 talent composite. 19th, Tennessee, by the way. Shout out Ooh. to Josh Heifel. I think tells you a, a bit about what Tennessee's doing right now. They have the number 15 um, class in the country right now. Yes. Uh, wow. So there's a magnetism about him, and I think South Carolina certainly has a lot of talent. But not only in recruiting, as you look at the road ahead – for the South Carolina team, sitting at five wins, they have to split Missouri and Vanderbilt. They've Vanderbilt on the road to uh, get to six. I generally think they'll win both of those, but we'll yeah. see. They are. They have at then least they go, a sixty-six percent chance to win both. Yeah. They go to the swamp, which will be interesting. They, I thought they were going to get Dan Mullen fired the night of last Ooh, year, yeah. and they just absolutely punked Florida. 
Um, they did not, but that was certainly kind of the beginning of the end there, um, where, where it was looking up and saying, what is wrong with Florida? Uh, so that'll be an interesting game. We'll see there. I, that's a literal toss-up, right? Like, yeah, going to, to the swamp, going to the swamp will be tough. And then, Brody, they get a chance to close their season and just absolutely be a spoiler wrecking ball if they can do it. They get to host Tennessee, which would be a very dangerous game for Tennessee. Tennessee embarrassed them last year in Knoxville. I think that was like 35 nothing in the second quarter or something along yeah. those lines. But you get them at home, and then you go to Clemson. Clemson, mortal this year. Very good, improved, but they can lose to some teams. Oh, yeah. So you, I think – They're beating Clemson. The, I'm calling it now, baby. The idea that South Carolina can be sitting there with six wins, a bowl assured – and go into the last two games of the season with a ton of house money and trying to ruin Tennessee's dream season and try to knock Clemson out of the playoff. And I don't particularly want to see Clemson in the playoff. I think they would get exposed by some really good teams. I'm with you. So I think South Carolina for a bit, there would probably be America's team playing Clemson unless Clemson yeah. looks like a whole different that's team. True. That would be, man, that's that. Those are going to be two very, very interesting games to close the season. And I, I don't know that I bet on them to win either of those, but I think they might they might scare one or I mean, both of those. Players. I'm I'm ready to do it, man. Like I mean, I bet that Clemson spreads like 17. Like first off, Probably give me that. But, I, but like if you even look at Bill Connolly's like uh, you know his projections, like they're more likely to, they're just as likely to win eight games as they are seven, and they are mm-hmm. just as likely to win nine games as they are six. Like it's all in front you know. of them, man. Like they can do some stuff. So it's awesome, man. This is just. I think we talked last week about like what? No, go Sorry. ahead. I actually just pressed our link and started hearing my own voice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was awful. Uh, but like they, we SEC's just in such. Sorry, I lost my train of thought. But the SEC's just in such a great spot of just like everybody feels like they accept A and M have positive momentum right now, man. Like South mm-hmm. Carolina being this good, Tennessee being this good. It's just really awesome. And like I think we had the which is better, the East or the West conversation last week. And I still say the West, but God, the East is it's a different East. And like I want to watch East games now. I haven't wanted to watch East games last few years at all. Mm-hmm. Well, Missouri and Vanderbilt are kind of weighing down the like and Auburn, for as much as we talk about Auburn, Auburn has looked mostly competent, yeah. although just not threatening or good. But it's the like perfect not, way to put it. Yeah. Not totally like fire sale disaster just yet it's just like they don't scare anyone which is kind of crazy for an auburn team to not scare anyone but that's kind of where they're at uh but well you know that i i south carolina is just fun right now and i think that there is a uh a belief there and i think that there is a just generally good vibes coming from south carolina um and so props to shane beamer this is this is what you hire Shane Beamer for um, as yeah. well. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Brody, the alcohol content of the SEC this week uh, is is rising. With uh, we have the cocktail party and the beer barrel in the same week. Am I crazy? Did these didn't the cocktail party used to be a little bit earlier? 
I, I always like remember it being. I, made this up. I don't remember it always being in the day, but I feel like being two thirty makes sense. Oh, you said well, earlier no, in the no, season. Early I'm the sorry. Season. I don't remember the the beer barrel and the cocktail party being on the same weekend. Maybe Kentucky got moved up. I maybe I think it's because Tennessee moved up Kentucky and Georgia. Maybe that's what it is. They flopped those sure. two games. Either way, uh, two pretty interesting games. Uh, I guess we should start with Tennessee. We haven't hit on them and, and Kentucky this week. Boy, this, this is, is a dang- my this Super Bowl. Dang- I'm so excited. This is a dangerous matchup for for Tennessee um, because you obviously you're playing with house money at this point of Tennessee. And Tennessee, they've played so few games over the last decade where you have almost nothing to gain and you have everything to lose. Yep. That has not been the space where tech, where Tennessee has operated. And they have handled big moments really well this season. Florida week, Alabama week. They played two really, really good games in those spots. The team clearly was focused and played well. But Kentucky is a tough matchup for them um, for a couple reasons. One... The biggest thing, Tennessee's biggest weakness is their corners, right? Kentucky, Barry and Brown, Tavion Robinson, those two are better than anybody that Bama throws out there at receiver. It's true. They're fast, and they can beat you over the top. And Will Levis is a guy that can get it there. People want can criticize Will Levis all they want, but he torched Tennessee last year. Uh, and so, And he's got the pieces to do it again. Then on top of that, you have the running game. Tennessee has really defended the run very, very well. Uh, I'd have to see where their updated numbers are after the UT Martin game, but they were top 10 last week in defensive yards per carry. Uh, So they've really defended the run well. So that's going to be a tough matchup for for Chris Rodriguez back there, Uh, Cavassier Smoke, all that stuff. But Brody, part of this is big plays. Brody, how many offensive snaps do you think Tennessee ran against uh, Kentucky last year? I don't even know where to guess. Like, are you saying it's a lot or a little? I have no idea. I'll let you take it. 47 offensive snaps last year. That's what they do, baby. Tennessee has run about 70 to 75 about every game this year. Kentucky's going to do the same thing this year. They mangle games, man. It's what they They do. Ugly. Keep you off. Keep you off the field because Tennessee's going to be able to score on Kentucky. Kentucky has a good defense, but Tennessee's going to be able to score. Well, limit possessions. Ugly the game up, slow it down, and and you could be in the game late. Kentucky's matches up really well with Tennessee. I think Tennessee wins this game, but I think Kentucky is in it late because of all those reasons. Damn. I think they can run the ball a little bit enough to to soften the box uh, or enough to to make Tennessee uh, load the box a little bit more. And then Tavion Robinson and Barry and Brown uh, are man, those two are really really good. Uh, so you you throw those two guys in there. Will Levis get him the ball? This is a uh, Tennessee's going to have to bring their 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 hard hat to work because this is going to be a a rough matchup. Because I think at the end of the day, you get up for Florida, you get up for 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 Alabama. I'm not sure that Tennessee has the same level of we got to do this with Kentucky. It's just hard to do that many times. Yeah, Tennessee has owned Kentucky in this series, and I think that they're you know it's easy to sort of say, well, we can just do it again, and they might. But I don't know that I buy into the idea that Tennessee is going to roll this Kentucky team because no, they can and you got Georgia, and like, yeah, mm-hmm. no, Georgia I, I, looming as well. So this is can... just a classic trap game scenario. Tennessee, I think Tennessee survives this, but man, if they lose, I will not be surprised because Kentucky does all the things that can that will allow them to beat this Tennessee team. 
It's true. I mean, like, shoot, I have my, my like, nerdy Excel sheet of all the data and all that matching up. <laughs> and it's, like, so cool, though, because, like, everything you laid out about the matchup, it's so beautiful because every chart is, like, everything that Tennessee is dark green, Tennessee's dark green at defending or vice versa. And everything that's red because they're bad at, oh, Kentucky's also bad at that. Or, like, mm-hmm. it's just a beautiful matchup of, like, Tennessee is the sixth most efficient offense, just success rate, not opponent adjusted, like, in the country. Kentucky is number six at defense, like efficiency. Like it's beautiful. I can't wait. And it's like, what have we been talking about? I think since like week one of this show of the season of just like, there's these two parallel paths of being good. Right. And it's the, are you just like the efficient, you know, methodical, like you just do your job per play or are you the, like, I know how to mangle games and be good. Like South Carolina, Kentucky of like, Mm -hmm. just, confine it to what I want it to be. And you are literally seeing, and it's a bummer. It is such a bummer that UK lost Levis for that South Carolina game because this game could have been like a massive deal. It could, yeah. it's still, it's juicy for us, but it doesn't two top 20 teams, but it could have been two top 15, top, it, you yeah. know, borderline top 10 teams. Yeah. Something it would like have that. felt more symbolic of like the battle to be that other team in the East or whatever, but still, it's yeah. a great game. And it is that parallel matchup of Tennessee, Kentucky. They do these two different things that are like, but they're both so darn good at it. And I just always am going to want Mark Stoops in a game where he's this big of an underdog. It's like a 14 point dog. And yeah. like, I think it's down to 13 now, but like, I I love Kentucky to make this close. At the end of the day, I do probably, you know, there's just that oomph that Tennessee has with Hendon Hooker, that trust that, like, they are going to kind of just make that play in crunch time more than, even though I love Levis, that offense doesn't have that same, I'm going to make a play oomph as best as I can describe it. Great podcasting. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a one-score game, though. I think I'll take Tennessee, but give me those points if I'm, uh, I think before we get to our betting segment, give me those mm-hmm. points. What do we make of what do we make of the cocktail party? Do we think Florida Ooh. can make this can make this? Interesting? I do. I believe it was twenty two point line, something along yeah, those lines. Yep. I, I do. I, I think. I like, don't know, man. I Georgia's defense against Anthony Richardson. I, I mean, I think they can. I think they're going to be able to force him into just a nightmare ball game. I just don't. I think when you can limit him and keep him in the pocket because they have the athletes to do that. They don't have Nicobe Dean running sideline to sideline like he used to yeah. uh, back there. But, man, I, I do think that they can – this feels like this could be like an 8 of 26 for 110 yards and two picks kind of game. Yeah. I, ugh, I I think this could get ugly. I really think this could get ugly. So I guess the better way to put this is like, no, I do not think Florida can like win this game. I don't think that. But, like, there's an element of like – okay – Florida's a mess right now, right? They have a lot of holes, a lot of things that are just systematically a little messed up right now. And like in a vacuum most years, though, this should be what? Like a 12, 13 point game? You know, is that more fair? Like it should at least be somewhere in that range. And I like, I know they're both coming off buys, but I like Billy Napier to Florida coming off a buy here. Not to be great, but to fix some of those glaring issues, the tackling, the the just general defensive scheme, all that stuff. Like, I like them to come in with some more answers a little bit and just to play look like a more complete team. Do I think they win or have them on the ropes in the fourth? No, but I think Florida can make this a a watchable football game. Is that a better the, way to put it? The problem that I think you might run into is what the way I could see the first quarter and a half playing out is Georgia gets the ball, 10 plays, 81 yards, six minutes off the clock, touchdown. Florida goes three and out. Georgia gets the ball, nine plays, 74 yards, 
touchdown. Florida gets a couple first downs and punts, and then it's 11 plays, 77 yards, touchdown, and then it's 21 nothing, and there's a minute and a half left in the first quarter. That's or in the fair. second quarter. I think that, that feels like where this game is heading because regardless of what you see, I, I think Georgia's offense can really just control this ball game. And this is a team that in a lot of ways has been defined by its defense. But in this game, because they're not as explosive, but Jordan, but Florida has not shown an ability to stop anyone, man, eight yards to Brock Bowers, 12 yards to Darnell Washington, hands it off yeah. to, to McIntosh for six yards. I feel like it's going to be a lot of that. And I don't know that there's anything Florida can do about that. And I, yeah. that, that I think is going to be a problem for them because I think it's going to be just a slow drip, 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 drip. And then if you give up the catastrophic play, like we saw last year at the end of the first half where Florida was making it interesting. And then they just imploded over the course of like yes. two minutes, then you're getting into real nasty territory. But I just think, this just uh, this feels like a game where it's going to be tough sledding for Florida, but we'll see. Maybe we get a special, maybe we get a special, maybe a special performance. But I think Georgia can be able to do what they did to Bo Nix to Anthony Richardson, keep him reined in, make him yeah. throw the ball. But then their corners are really good, and I don't know that Florida has the receiver talent to get free to allow Anthony Richardson to make some, make some plays. I think their tackling might be a little bit better than what we saw from LSU a couple weeks ago. No, I think that's probably the, I think that is overall the exact right read on this. And I think overall, you're probably right. The only thing I'm just like interested by is Georgia. And this is not me saying Georgia might not be good. Of course not. But like Georgia has played, hasn't played a single top 50, even offense since that Oregon game. And the weird thing with that Oregon game is Georgia demolished them. Like do not twist this, but like, Oregon was able to move the ball and then just like Georgia kept forcing turnovers and just like Oregon couldn't get anything out of that. And again, Georgia's defense is amazing, but I'm just like, I am intrigued to see like, okay, but may can Anthony Richardson, like maybe do some stuff kind of like Bo Nix was able to move the ball before he kind of imploded. I'm just intrigued by it. Like Georgia should be fine, but I think that's the one thing I'm watching. I don't know how much this I'll be watching. If this is on, I'm well, couching I, it again. I'm couching it again this weekend. And uh, if uh, if yeah, I need to see the schedule, how but is this Georgia the two thirty game? What are we doing? I don't know. Well, it's the cocktail party at the end of the day. I so guess, but come on, get Kentucky, Tennessee. I mean, I'm I'll enjoy a primetime game. It's my bye week. You were on the couch <laughs> last week. I'm on the. Couch I'm on the couch week. again this week too. Let's, so let's let's zoom over the couch, baby. Yes, the um uh, but we'll see. Uh, Brody. What did I say when we were going to the, the, our pick segment? What did I say last week? If I lost Mississippi State plus 21 and a half, it would be because they scored three or seven points, something along those Is lines. Is this you basically trying to talk to convince us that you weren't wrong and being wrong? No. Like I was wrong, me, but my analysis was. <laughs> well, I did say it felt like what, like a 31 13, a 31 17 yeah, type yeah. of game. You, your sentiment I, was. I correct. thought this Mississippi State offense would be good enough to, uh, to beat or at least get in the end zone before the yeah. last play against Alabama. I was wrong. Shout out to Mike Leach after the game. He said, uh, in true Halloween spirit, if you want to scare his players, just hang up an Alabama jersey in their locker, and they will be terrified. That's Which, pretty good. Mike Leach, after a bad loss, is usually one of the more entertaining Mike Leaches. There was a rant about uh, he was worried about the evolution of hands in human existence. Yes. There's some dinosaur hand evolution he was referring to. Um, he's not embarrassed I, about losing. He's just like, yeah, man, here's what happened. I don't care. Yeah, he he's, you know, I think uh, 
the funniest thing is the other side of the Mike Gundy, I'm a man, I'm 40 rant. Go Google what uh, Mike Leach had to say that night because he went off and it got totally overshadowed by Mike Gundy Ooh. on that evening. Uh, it was an incredible, uh, there's some, there was, there's some colorful language in there. If I recall, I'm go check anyway, that right now. but um, so Mississippi state, I knew if they didn't win this, it'd because they couldn't score, but I thought they'd be able to score, but Nick Saban against air raid offenses has been ugly, but I thought will Rogers experience uh, Mississippi state really talented receiver group. They did not get the job done. Uh, so that's a loss. Brody, who did you have? I forgot. I had South Carolina. Okay. Three and I, a should, half. I should have taken South Carolina just on the money line. I'm a sharp. A you're not. It's that, okay. A&M, that A&M team going on the road to play a competent team and winning. That was, that was never going to go well for them. Um, but this week, Brody, I think we're thinking very similarly. Yeah. And we've, we've set the stage already for it. We right? have set like, the stage, yeah. but Tennessee rolling this Kentucky team as presently constructed, I'm not sure I see it. We are both on Kentucky plus 14 this week on the road at Tennessee. I think this I think this is a close game. The only way that I think Tennessee blows this up is if they if the turnovers get lopsided. Uh, and and it's like if they they are built in a way that it's like if they are really if they are beating them, the margins are big. So that's the scary yeah. part. It's like if and they're think, beating them, they win by 24. You know? And the road, the road to I'd have to look at the numbers um for uh Kentucky's offensive line. I haven't looked at them. If Tennessee does blow this up, it'll be because of their pass rush. Because Kentucky call, has been yeah. very, very susceptible. Ole Miss exposed it. Um, you know, Will Levis has taken a bunch of hits this year. And I think Tennessee can get to him. And if they blow this up, it's going to be because they pressured the heck out of Will Levis. And they got him into some bad situations. So there's a road there where Tennessee, they slow down the run game. They pressure Will Levis into some mistakes, into some sack fumbles, that type of stuff. But I still think Kentucky can control this game, have enough big plays, limit Tennessee's offensive snaps, keep everything in front of them. Uh, they'll probably still give up a bomb or two. Jalen Hyatt's yeah, really, really good. Brew McCoy is really, really good. I don't know that we'll see Cedric Tillman in this game. We'll see. Um, they might be saving him up for Georgia in a tightrope ankle surgery. We'll see. But I will take Kentucky plus 14. Brody, you'll be with me, and you have an additional. Wait, do you want to hear the Kentucky line stats just because they're mind-boggling? Like, I just want everyone to hear them. Please do. What is their pressure rate, and, and what is yeah. uh, what is that? Okay, just to run through, like, the na- the national ranks. Keep in mind, 131 teams, right? Mm-hmm. 129 in sack rate, 114th in pressure rate. Like, there you go. it's like 32% pressure rate. If like, Tennessee wow. blows this game up, it's going to be because of that. Because they have lost, they lost Dari Rosenthal, uh, and that was a, a huge loss for them. And I forget. They lost one or two other offensive linemen. I forget. I did. Uh, I wrote about this in the preseason. But Tennessee leading the SEC in defensive pressure rate. Uh, so that's a bad matchup for Kentucky. Uh, so if this game goes sideways for Kentucky, it's going to be because of that. That Will Levis is just running for his life. Which he may be, but when you can run the ball well, you know if they do that a little bit, you can buy some of that time. Brody, what's your other bonus pick? <laughs> yeah, I mean my official pick is Kentucky, so when we're keeping score at the end of the year. But yes, yeah, I do kind of like A and M plus two and a half at home in this spot. Like I do like them kind of matchup wise against Ole Miss. I always like betting on a team when like everybody in the world is just collectively like they're screwed, they're awful, and it's like that is nobody- a good spot. Yeah, like nobody's as bad as we think they are that week. So I kind of like them there. Well, I don't know if I'll real life bet it, but I like it. I think it's – I think – I disagree with you on this. I think it's not so much about disagree. A&M. I just think Ole Miss is really good. Like I think Ole Miss has some pieces that can really do some things. And I 
you know, and What's Zach front. Evans' status though? Because yeah, that was Mitch Sussa of the Clarion Ledger had a really well put point of like that entire team is kind of designed on you have two great running backs, so you're tempo, 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 and you can rotate. Yeah. And then once you only have one, even though he's great, the calculus kind of changes. And I think it's a really yeah. good insight. Yeah. And Quinshawn Jenkins is good, but he's still we're talking about a true freshman here. So good like, point. Yeah. That's a that's putting a lot on him. And AM has a defensive front that can hold up um against them, but we'll see. I think Ada Ole Miss is balanced enough to win that game. I'll, I'll be curious to see. Kyle Field brings it pretty consistently. Yeah. But the the general vibes emanating from Aggie Land are so uh sour at this point. That it's I'll hard to imagine getting a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be curious to see what that what that uh environment's like. It, I will say props to AM fans who really do, even when uh the chips are down they really do bring it um uh, but we'll see i'll be excited to see that ball i think it's gonna be a good game but i like old miss to win that one uh going on the road coming off of that i think uh you might see an, an angry old miss team i think old miss is just better than am right now so i don't think i expected that coming into the season but yeah. you know what brody I'm a fan of competent offensive scheme. Sue me. <laughs> one of those teams has one one of those teams does not yeah. and uh AM do something. Do something. It. Don't keep doing this, please. If for the sake of your, geez, if, if for, the, yeah, for the sake of your fans, for the sake of those of us who have to watch college football games, AM is not Iowa. They're not San Diego State, but boy, no. they are not far They're from just Jersey. maybe one tier ahead. Yeah. I watched a lot of Jeremy Pruitt Tennessee football. It looks a lot like that. Yeah. Goodness gracious. Goodness gracious. Don't please, please. Competent offensive scheme. That will do it for this week's Football and Grits. Brody, it's been fun. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. And uh, we will see you guys next week. For Brody Miller, I'm David Oven. Thanks again, guys.